stuff like that as we welcome back to the college service. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I am not Trey Corey, although the hair is very close to length and color. We're going to talk about something that's very dear to my heart and also in keeping with what we've been studying in the book of Acts. We're going to stay on the road of the book of Acts, but we're going to take a little detour. And we're going to take a look at one of the key characters in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter. Peter's name shows up all the way from chapter 2 through chapter 15, where you guys have already been. But we want to talk about how Peter of the book of Acts got to be the Peter of the book of Acts. What is his background? What is his calling? We've spent some time thinking about perhaps going this summer to uh, um, one of the three spots that we send folks to and, and how the Lord works on people's lives and in their lives to uh, bring about his will for them. And in Peter, we're going to sort of look voyeuristically at his life and see what it is that God did to him to sort of seal the deal for Peter to become an apostle. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 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 Luke chapter 5. It makes sense that we're going to be in Luke. Luke's the author of the book of Acts. He's obviously the author of the book of Luke, and he has a very close relationship with Peter, knew knew him well, knew the stories of the Lord's time with Peter. And as we see this amazing story in Luke chapter 5, it's often taught as the first great catch of fish. It's a miracle account, and the miracle is there, and we're going to talk about that. But we're going to put our, our lenses on and look at this through the lens and through the aspect of Peter. What was Peter experiencing during this very powerful time in his life? Uh, Luke is a, uh, one of the longest gospels. We're going to be in this section known as the Galilean ministry in the northern region of Israel. There's Galilee in the central, there's Samaria in the southern, there's Judea. Most of the stuff that Jesus did was in the north, in the, in the region of Galilee. That's where Peter's from in his town of Capernaum. So rather early in the ministry of Christ, probably about a year into it, by the time we get to Luke chapter 5, we're going to see what's going on with Jesus' calling of Peter as an apostle. As we see the regions of, of, the, of the area of Israel, it's very important to follow your gospels especially. It assumes you know the geography. And as we spend most of our time here in the north, we're going to see that a lot of stuff happened in and around the Sea of Galilee. And if you've got a sea, you've got aspects that water brings. You're going to have all sorts of fishing. And today is an account about fishing, for Peter was a fisherman. Uh, he lived in this northern region. He lived in the city of Capernaum, uh, in Hebrew known as Kafir Nahum, the village of Nahum. It's on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Tiberias or the Sea of Gennesaret, three titles for the same body of water, rather large body of water that is fed from the mountains to the north, and it is the water from which eventually the Jordan River will flow into the Dead Sea. So it's very important to the geography of the land. Over 50% of the parables of Christ will be uh, spoken in this area. Most of the miracles will occur in this area, in these regions. Many of the towns that you'll see uh, on your screen are going to be very familiar with her. He, he would say, woe to you, Bethesda and Chorazin. If, uh, Tyre and Sidon would have repented if they had seen the stuff that you guys saw in the form of miracles. We see the, the city of, of Gennesaret and, and Magdala, from which Mary the Magdalene was from. So these regions and this geography is very crucial to the background 
of, of Peter's life and certainly our understanding of the Gospels. And the Sea of Galilee, for our purposes, was primarily known for a place for great fishing. Freshwater fish, even known today as Peter's fish, was the, the, the common thing that was caught. And so whole industries, whole livelihoods were built on fishing. Peter and his brother and all his buds are fishermen. This is their job. This is what they do. And most interesting, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to show up at a day at the office in Peter's life. He's going to go to work with Peter and deal with him at his most core competency. The thing that Peter does best might be the one thing that he's holding back from the Lord. There are several times, uh, as you see this fertile region in the north of which Peter would be very familiar with, several times that Peter would be called by the Lord, not to be saved, but rather to become an apostle, to drop everything and follow after him. I've got the verses on the screen here, but the first time it's going to show up is in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is when Peter, very early in the ministry of Christ, even before Jesus has been baptized, goes down to hear this, this guy named John the Baptizer talk about the coming one, the Messiah. It's going to be John the Baptist's cousin, Lord Jesus will be. And Peter and his brother Andrew will go there and notice at this place called Bethany beyond the Jordan, we see that John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus and he, wa- and he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Well, who are the two disciples? One of the two disciples, of that is of John the Baptist, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he, Andrew, bought him Simon Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of Cephas, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. The idea of a rock will come from that term. So we see Peter very early in his life coming to be exposed to the Messiah. Very technically, Peter is what we would call an Old Testament Jew. He has believed that God would provide for his sin. As Abraham had said in Genesis 15, Abram believed in God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Peter believed in the promise of God to deal with his problems, and he is already, we would say, saved or a a saint. But at this point, he's not yet come to know Messiah personally because this weird time in history, the Messiah is being introduced to people. He's being unveiled. And so they go and find the Messiah. And they begin to have a relationship with Jesus and start to follow him at various levels. The second time God will call the person of Peter will be in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1, where they're fishing. It's a very quick account, and there's some debate, is that the same thing that we're going to study today or a separate account? But I think the chronology is separated enough to where it's actually a second time in which they begun to follow after Jesus, but then don't fully follow after. The passage we're going to study today, the final sealing of the deal, is is Peter's call to apostolic ministry in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Very powerful little account, a day at the office of the apostle Peter. This is how he becomes to be the apostle Peter. So this little private miracle focused on Peter was designed... Uh, to seal his call to apostolic ministry and to teach him that Christ is his real source in all matters primarily, and write these down, his competency, what he's best at, his identity, 
Who does he really see himself to be and his calling? And there's an interesting way that all three of these roads sort of converge here. And we're going to see the Lord show himself to be the Lord over all, including that which was Peter's competency, his fishing abilities. We're going to see at the root of Peter, perhaps the Lord was not ultimately his identity. Maybe he saw himself through his vocation, through his competency. And Jesus is going to turn that around a bit and use that powerful event in his life, a day at the office with Peter, to call him to full-time ministry. At the end of this little account, he will drop everything and follow after the Lord and never go back. This will be the time in which Peter is all in. He commits to the Lord Jesus Christ, not in a salvation way, not that uh, I now believe and now I'm going to heaven, but rather in my calling, in my sense of following, in my discipleship. And we've all had those moments in our life where we sense the Lord asking us, let's go a little deeper, come a little closer, let's go a little farther. And we see, perhaps through the lens of Peter today, that God, what he did then, he's still doing now as he calls us and allows time to sort of go by and unfold as he asks us to come and be with him. So there's a, a, this little setting in Luke 5, or this little scene in Luke 5, is, it's really simple. There's three little aspects of it. Uh, there's the setting of the story and kind of what's going on that sets forth uh, this wonderful miracle. There's the miracle of the great catch, which is going to be a, a fascinating study in, in basics of Bible study methods as we're going to have to put our observation hats on and really look and see what it is that Luke writes to describe this wonderful scene uh, of all these fish. And then for our purposes, primarily for our application, how did Peter respond? At his best day at work, which is not going to be that great of a day as it begins, will turn into such a great day. He's got so many fish he doesn't know what to do with. How does Peter respond to that? And that's going to be a wonderful insight as he sort of leads us and sort of guides us into our following after the Lord and our hearing his call, okay? So let's go to verses 1, 2, and 3 for a second uh, at this setting around the Sea of Galilee. At this day in the life of a fisherman, uh, a guy who's got all sorts of assets in this business. He's got a brother. He's got at least six other guys that are in this business we're going to see with him because the kind of boats that they ran took four guys to handle each one. And we know there's going to be a total of two boats in the end from observing uh, this section in Luke. But we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 sort of the background, okay? So read with me. And it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him, Jesus obviously, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. And he, Jesus, saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, for the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he came into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. This is the same area in and around which the Sermon, of the, the sermon on the Mount was given. Many of the times uh, the Lord would, would speak. It's a rather natural amphitheater. It's a place in which uh, the sea meets a, a rather quick rising series of, of faults in the land, and it, it, it creates an echo that's quite easily heard. And so it was a natural place for the person to speak toward uh, the, the land and thus amplify what he was saying, and that's exactly what the Lord does. It's kind of just another day at the office in Jesus' life. He's teaching. He's preaching. 
But now we're going to see the master teacher at work go to work on the person of Simon, on the person of Peter, as the one who has been going to be this, this head fisherman. As we see in, verses, in verse 2, he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake. Those are Peter's boats. Fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. That latter part of verse 2 is important. They had gotten out of them because they, we will see in a moment, had been working all night. You see, if you're a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, you work at night. That's when fish are docile. That's when you catch them in nets. And they had been working all night, had come in after their time of work, had taken their nets, and we're going to see a picture of them, those just here in a moment, of, of this, this long series of nets that they were now washing or mending. They would be taking out all the things that had gotten caught in the net after the fish had been removed, the tangles, and they have to lay them on the shore for them to dry. It's just the life of a fisherman. It's what you do. To a carpenter, it's a saw and a hammer and nails. To a fisherman, your boat and your nets and your guys are how you make a living. Okay, And all three of those are kind of come into play here. So we're going to see that he's going to go with the multitude pressing in. Most likely, there's going to be a total of eight fishermen there because it takes two There's two boats, and there's four guys in each one, and they're washing their nets. And Jesus then goes to work on his point, which is to bring Peter to himself. And notice how he kind of slowly boils Peter in the kettle, if you will. It's very slow at first. He's simply going to say, Peter, I'm going to sit in your boat, and now I want you to come with me out into the water because I'm going to address the people. Notice in verse 3. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him singularly to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. So he's probably 50 feet out into the rather shallow water, but he needs an oarsman. He needs a boatsman. He needs a professional boat guy to make sure that the boat stays steady. And I want you to think of this story through Peter's eyes, okay? It's a 27-foot boat. Okay, typical rabbinic style, Jesus is going to sit down. All rabbis sat when they taught. And he, and you are the multitude, so Jesus is going to be sitting at that end of the boat. Peter is going to be at this end of the boat, probably with weights, making sure that the boat is anchored, perhaps a long pole to make sure it doesn't deviate for the wind might blow it away. And come through this story through the lids of Peter. What does he see? Okay, so imagine somebody behind me, I get to be Jesus in this story, saying, behind me, I'm sitting down teaching to the multitudes. It's an interesting way to learn. It's a, notice how the Lord brings him in, takes him to his office, that is Jesus' office, this place of ministry, this place of speaking. And Peter is watching him, and he sees that vista. He sees the back of the rabbi with his hat on, with his, with his, with his uh, talit on, his, his, his covering. You, you see the, uh, the multitude in the background. You see the the water around you. Perhaps he can see the veins in in Jesus' neck when he turns to speak loudly. Perhaps the the spittle that might come from his mouth when he speaks. He's getting a a, a backstage pass at one of the sermons of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to quickly be about him. Notice as this passage unfolds. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, asked him, that is Simon, to put out a little way from the land. Now, uh, this is an actual picture of, of, of a similar boat from around 1900. It's been colorized, but typical four-man boat uh, with sails. You would uh, go out into the deep of the Sea of Galilee to bring about fish. It had to be sturdy enough to hold the fish 
and to withstand some of the, uh, the type of storms that we've seen in other miracle accounts where storms would come about. Uh, this famous Jesus boat that has been uh, sort of resurrected from the Sea of Galilee a couple of decades ago, but that's sort of what's left of it as they try to uh, reinstate it a bit and let people see what it looked like. Um, this is a picture of, of what the size of the nets would be. So I don't want you to think of a, a nice little net like you're cleaning your pool, you know, getting leaves out of your pool. This is how you make a living. And you've got to have large nets to catch lots of fish because that's your economy. That's how you make money. And so we see these, um, these Palestinians even pulling nets up today. And you can see it took a lot of work. And so to get the nets out of the water, get them untangled, all captured in that term washing, and to get them on the land because you needed to dry them before you could go back and fish the next day or you would lose the elasticity within your net. And so that was the natural process of a fisherman. And that's what they know. That's what's in the back of Peter's mind as he is beginning this fishing adventure with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's pick it up now in verse 4 as we see the command of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 5 verse 4 as the plot thickens here a bit. Notice, when Jesus had, begin, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and I want you to notice how he does this. He's going to use some singular pronouns and some singular verbs of these eight guys he's focusing on Peter. I take it primarily it's because he wants to deal with Peter, but Peter might be in charge of the whole group, and that might be what's going on here as well. Even better if that's the case. Jesus finished speaking. He said to Simon, you, singular, put out into the deep water and let down, now it turns to plural, and let down all of your nets for a catch. Okay? You take the boats out, let all your nets down, and notice this aspect of the reason, for a catch. He says it to Simon, I want you to put out to the deep water, not the shallows, and there was, there was the kind of fishing in which you could throw nets and sort of capture like we might catch minnows today in and around the shore and bring them in. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about taking those nets that we just saw getting dried that had been out on the deep all night long, and the guys had already washed them and now begun the process of drying them. I want you to go and start again. And notice Peter's response is going to be one of interest. Notice in verse 5, Peter will answer and say, Master, we worked hard all night, and if you're not adverse to marking up your Bible or circling, circle the next two words, caught nothing. We've worked hard all night and caught nothing. It's probably not that unusual in his world to have a bad day. You know, athletes have it. We have it at work. We just kind of didn't have our best day. We tried. We used all of our skills. We went out, and we didn't catch hardly any fish. Literally, if you take the word as it stands, Zero fish. We caught zero. And that's probably what's going on is this story is going to be a story of extremes. They catch nothing in and of themselves. And a few verses later, they're going to have so many fish, they're fearful of sinking their boats and drowning. As we go from nothing to such a rich, abundant, and lavish supply, it actually becomes dangerous. And that's probably what's going on in the form of the literature is this extreme contrast Notice Simon again, we worked hard all night, labored. We get our concept of agony from this word. We worked hard all night and caught nothing. But ever interesting, Peter is the one who is seen throughout the book of Acts, seen throughout the Gospels as 
sort of the first man in. He's the first guy to mess up. He's also the first guy to get things right. We've worked hard all night, caught nothing. But at your bidding, literally at your word, we will let down the nets. We'll go back out. Jesus had said, let down your nets for a catch, perhaps a little hint of a promise. Peter responds and says, we, although we've worked hard, although we've caught nothing, at your word, we will let down the nets. Let the story continue now as we come to verse 6. It's an amazing thing to me that the economy of words that the Lord uses through his spirit to describe things. Verse 6 is one of those little moments where it, it doesn't have all that many words. In fact, you would think he would use more words to describe this wonderful thing that's about to happen, for this is the miracle that's going to come about them. When they had done this, that is, get the boats out, pulled the nets back in, so it didn't happen instantaneously, they're going to go out for another catch. And at that time, Peter's got some things on his mind, okay? Peter's a pro. He's a fisherman. He does this every day for a living. Now, these things aren't recorded in Scripture, so I can't say I guarantee you this is what he's thinking. But it's well within reason that even though Peter had said, at your bidding, we will go out, he had to be thinking these things. He had to be thinking, nobody fishes the deep in the day. It's just not done. You don't do it. Think of anything in your life in which things are just absolutely taboo because it doesn't work. You just can't do it. No one fishes the deep of the day because the nets can, or the fish can see our nets. And they're no longer docile. They're mobile during the day. So even the sound of our boat and the shadow of our boat and, and the lapping of the water against the boat, let alone the nets in the water, will cause them to flee. You can't make a living on the Sea of Galilee fishing in the day. That's why they've been working all night. And although they'd caught nothing, you never catch anything in the day. Each boat needed four guys. So I got to get my four guys in that boat. I got to get my four guys in this boat. We got to reload the nets, which we really shouldn't do because the nets needed to be fully dried. But at the bidding of the Lord, we will do this. Although we've worked hard all night, we've caught nothing, I admit. They just ain't biting today, Lord. And certainly, what is a rabbi going to be doing in a fishing boat? Why is he giving us instructions on how to fish. You see the Lord kind of coming into Peter's life, maybe invading a bit in an area in which he maybe had not been invited before, maybe knocking on that door of his competency and his identity at his vocation and saying, let me show you how to fish. The nets needed washing and drying. We'd have to reload the nets. We're tired. There's a lot of people watching for it's the day now. It's morning. There's a multitude of people that he had just got through speaking. And now on that stage, and everyone knew everyone, sort of a small town mindset, Peter and the boys have got to do what everyone knows you're not supposed to do. So there's a little tension going on. There's a little pressure, a little sense of, of identity, or what are people going to think? Maybe moreover, what Peter would have known Jesus as Yeshua ben Yosef, Jesus, son of Joseph. What does Jesus, son of Joseph, know about fishing. I mean, he's a good preacher. He, 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 he's God's son, but, but it, we leave him over for the religious stuff. He does the spiritual stuff. He, he does the Bible stuff. He does the explaining from God's word. Let us handle the more mundane things of life, like fishing and earning a living. 
And Peter's going to learn the great lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to invade and intrude, if you will, every aspect of our life. And maybe at our most important place in what we claim to be our own life, our place of competency, our place of vocation, a place from which we might perhaps be getting our identity, the Lord would like to remove those barriers as well. We're going to see now this great supply in the next couple of verses. Uh, Again, the economy of words just amazes me. In in verses 6 and 7, just read carefully with with me. And if you're prone to observing and marking, I want you to observe and mark the things that indicate largeness, a lot of stuff. I want you to note what kind of pronouns are they, singular or plural? How many boats? What's the nature of what happens with the, the catch? Film this scene in your mind, okay? Put your little Steven Spielberg hat on and say, okay, here's the script, but I got to go shoot this scene. What do I got to do to get everybody from wardrobe to props, all the stuff I need to make this scene described in these two quick verses come alive, okay? That's our little exercise. So let's, let's do that as we go through. And when they had done this, that is what Jesus had said. Now, that would have taken a while. Get all those nets, get the guys, get the boats out. Now they had done this. They enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. So here's what that verse looks like kind of unobserved, unmarked up. The best I could do in PowerPoint, I, I, I marked it up. As I observed and went through with that same kind of scrutiny that I asked you to do, do as well, this is what it came back from my notes. The overwhelming description of an overwhelming supply of fish. The pronouns help you see it. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish Notice Luke, he's a doctor, he's precise. He is describing this in great, perfect detail. Their nets, plural, plural pronoun, plural nets. Their nets began to break so many fish. They signaled, so perhaps the the other boat was too far away to hear a yell. And so now this scene, are you creating the scene in your head? They're starting to signal, come on over, help us out. Man, this is a great day. Caught nothing at night. We're on to them now, man. Come now and help us catch this great quality. They, they signal their partners, plural, in the other boat. So two boats are out, separated. Now they're going to come together. And, and they, the type of nets they will use, it's, they'll form a big circle around them and begin to draw those fish in. And then the, you, keep, you keep them in the boat in which you're standing. For them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats, uh oh, so that they, that is the two boats, began to sink. The situation's turning a little different. From a, a situation of extreme no catch, as we saw early, the Lord Jesus intervenes, and all of a sudden we got so many fish it's dangerous. Our nets are not only breaking, which is the source. Our primary assets, that's how we make money. But now our boats. I mean, I could lose a net. I can't lose a boat. That's how I make a living. And I'm on the verge of losing both of these. Now, our nets are breaking under this great weight of fish, 
And as we pull them in, what we thought was great, this wonderful best day at work kind of mindset all of a sudden has turned into a dangerous scenario. It is an overwhelming supply. And there is no other explanation for the supply than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when he, Jesus, gets Peter exactly where he wants him. Where Peter must conclude that in his own efforts, in his own attempts, he caught nothing. A rabbi preacher skilled in Bible stuff has now said, let's go fishing for a catch. And this is what Jesus' catch looks like. Overwhelming supply. The response to the miracle is everything, as far as I'm concerned. As we voyeuristically become Peter, if you will. This scene is, is wonderful. It's, it's rich. There, there's all, such a, all sorts of stuff going on. But Peter, in verses 8 through 10, will do what's called his famous confession. Notice, as the story unfolds, after uh, verses 6 and 7, we see Peter sees that. He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's not the response one might think. It's a little bit of a twist in the story. Okay? Uh, I love what, how Luke begins the verse 8. And when Peter saw that, the that is the two previous verses. He just saw that scene. If you've been fishing, you know that fishing is not a quiet sport, especially when fish are on the line. Okay? We get excited, and maybe we're offshore, and we have a couple of uh, lines with a couple of treble hooks, and we pull up two redfish at the same time. You know, the bow is bending over, and, and the, the fish is making all sorts of movement and noise, and it's exciting. You know, get, get your other line out of the way. Pull them in. Pull them in. Get the net. Get the net. That's just catching a couple of fish. This is now such a supply that it's become dangerous. I would have loved to have been there. In fact, I'm hoping there are little, I don't know, electives in heaven in which we get to go and say, hey, Lord, can I go back on that day? Just kind of, you know, I know I won't have the ability to sin and all that like I have now, but I'd like to kind of experience that just as I am now. What would that have been like? I I don't want to be pulling the nets up, Lord. I'd like to just be hoovering over the deal, you know, and just watching and see how everybody... And I promise you, it would be loud. That many fish make a ton of noise, especially when they come up out of the water. And you begin to pull them in, and you'd see the water start to froth, almost like it's starting to boil. In fact, fishermen call it boiling. Man, it's boiling out there. The fish are coming to the top so powerfully. And all of a sudden, you're pulling them in, and they're flopping, and they're making all kind of noise, and they're all over your feet. And you're yelling at the other guys, come on over, and you're straining at the nets to pull them in. Get that side, Mike. Get that side, Andrew. Come on over here. Pull it. Pull it. We're losing them. Don't let it go. And in the midst of that froth, okay, because I can't set the stage for you unless... Unless it's that wild scene that would have really been when all those fish are being caught. Peter does what we don't expect. We don't expect him to say what he says in verse 8. Peter saw that. He said, he fell down at the feet of the Lord Jesus and said to him, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He is aware of his sinful state. A very rare photograph of that exact scene there. As you see, but, and, and I looked hard because I wanted to capture kind of the, the frothiness of, of the scene, and this, it doesn't really do it, but you got a couple of boats and guys straining. And, and that's sort of, if you were up in that little helicopter with me, you, you'd see seven guys working hard. You'd see the Lord Jesus still sitting down in the same seat that he was sitting in 
when he was teaching the multitudes just a few verses earlier. And Peter, not with the seven, has now come to the realization that this is just not another day at the office. This is not just, man, we're on to them and we hit a really great school of fish. It's no longer about his boats. It's no longer about his nets. It's no longer about all the fish we caught and all the money we're going to make. It's no longer about his business, earthly. It's now about his business, heavenly. As he recognizes the Lord Jesus Christ, almost like cataracts or blinders being pulled off his eyes, he recognizes that he is in the presence, not just of a rabbi who knows some Bible stuff, but this is the Son of God. What he's been saying all along, what I recognize as the Messiah, way down at Bethany beyond the Jordan in John 1, I'm now seeing a more full picture of that. And that's what calling is all about. That's what discipleship is all about, is ever more clarity as to the actual person of Jesus. Not who we make him up to be, not who we would like him to be, kind of our bud, but rather God on earth as a man over all things over all creatures, both of the air and of the sea and of the earth, which were the categories of creatures in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, but also of his most crowning creature, human beings. And so Peter does a 180 from the froth of the day and recognizes the complete distinction. Often the term will come across as holy. Holy doesn't mean not to sin. It means different, other uncommon. That's how the word is used throughout the word of God. He recognizes the full-blown, raw, uncommon holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment of recognition, that's why he hits the deck and says, Lord, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm, I have something missing in me, and I'm in the presence of something complete and full. I shouldn't be in your presence. Sort of like walking into a, a, a wedding with, with top hat and tails and canes and you come in and you know, flip-flops and T-shirts, you know. Oops, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Peter is recognizing that I'm in the wrong place to be in your presence. And you'll see that throughout the Word of God. When Isaiah has his vision and Isaiah 6 goes to heaven, first thing he says is, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. Even after death individuals in heaven, the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, every time they see the Lord Jesus Christ, they hit the deck, they fall down and, and say, this, this is not correct. There is such a gap between me and you. I want to recognize that gap and, and, and allow you to be the distinct and uncommon one. I am profane and sinful. That's Peter's response to the whole deal. He didn't say, I'm a great fisherman. I know how to pick rabbis to go fishing with me. That was all behind him now. That was no longer who he was because Jesus had invaded his competency and his identity and has now begun to call him to himself in this most powerful way. He is aware of his sinful state. And after the guys start to see Peter and realize that Peter has caught the real aspect of what's going on, amazement and fear in the sense of respect come over them all. Notice in verse 9, for amazement had seized him, that is Peter, and all his companions because of the catch of fish they had taken. No way they catch this many fish by themselves. This guy is the reason we caught the fish. And that was the great confession. 
the recognition of reality, the recognition of truth, is that Jesus is the source and supply of all things in our life. It's a wonderful thing to learn what Peter learned that day as we learn right along with him. Notice in verse 10, so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So you got Peter and Andrew, one boat with two workers, other workers, James and John, two other guys manning these two boats of a total of eight guys who were with partner, partners with Simon. And, and Jesus came to Simon and said, do not fear. For now on you will be catching men. If you circled caught nothing before, now circle catching men. And it's a beautiful literary contrast. Alone, you caught nothing. Enter Jesus, you're now catching men. How many? Just as many as we saw fish in the boats, metaphorically. An overabundant supply I am calling to you, to myself through you. Will you participate with me? And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And you'll never see another account like that. That is when Peter and Andrew, James and John are all in with Jesus Christ. That's when they take on their full apostolic mantle. The promise of the new fish is, go about the business with me, the Lord Jesus says, and let's be catching men. I've told you and I've just shown you what a good catcher I am. How much more do I care about men than fish? How many more men will we catch than fish? Participate with me. The fields are white unto harvest, and another metaphor he'll use. But I need workers in the field. That's when they left. And I, find, and, and I was talking with Blake about this uh, uh, last couple of years ago when, when I spoke in another venue on this, and we were chatting about that. And and I had never thought about this, this next aspect. He says, isn't it so beautiful of the Lord to give them that supply of fish? Almost like a little nest egg for their families because they're going to leave with this, with this itinerant rabbi. They're going to have a rock for a pillow. They're going to be running around the country for about the next three years. And that supply of fish is going to turn into currency, if you will, for their families who they're going to leave behind. I thought that was such good insight on his behalf and so typically perfect of the Lord to not just deal with one when he deals with us. He's dealing with all of us at various levels. Uh, It's a very powerful section as they leave to now depart and follow Christ. Note what Jesus is doing in this encounter. Doug Greenwald says he frames the issue of submission right at Simon's core competency. Jesus does not pose the issue of submission in any of the peripheral areas of Simon's life, but it addresses it at the one thing Simon knows best, fishing. Jesus knows that unless Simon submits and is broken at the one thing he does, he knows and does best, he will never become Peter, the rock, dependent upon God for everything. Look at what happens when God goes to work, literally to work with Peter. Some thoughts as I close, just for you to jot down in your heart or on a piece of paper, if you will. As we think about ourselves, often we're sort of seduced into thinking, I am what I do, you know? And I've got to ask us this question, including me, is my core competency mine or his? We're all going to have various levels of skill. 
Many of you obviously are in, are in your training portion of your life, which will actually continue forever, but I get the whole college thing, since three girls here, and understand the, the importance of, of working through their major, what do they want to do with that as they begin to garner skill for themselves. And it can be seductive. It can be the kind of thing that can throw us off. I'm an engineer. I'm a nurse. I'm a comm major. I'm an athlete. I'm going to be a doctor. And that becomes who we are based on what we do well at work. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a grandpa. That's great. You might be competent at those things, but let them not become who you are. Let them not become your identity. You are far more than a doctor. You are far more than a nurse. You're far more than an athlete. You're far more than an engineer. You're far more than a PR person. You're going to be an individual who is first and foremost a Christian. That is what the Lord Jesus is calling Peter to himself. We are called to a person, not a profession. God will use our skill. He'll use our spiritual gifting and so perfectly slot us in his service of him that we get real enjoyment out of our vocation and our skill. But that's not who we are. It's what we do. Okay? And so those things can kind of get sort of blend together and and, and take us off the track. Is my core competency stopping me from fully following the Lord? Have I so pursued this vocation and this skill that I've sort of marginalized the Lord and put him over here as opposed to invite him into my studies, into my job, into my work, ask for his guidance, his skill. He is capable of any discipline we are pursuing. He is already the master at it. He just showed us in a fishing boat. He can handle the things that we deal. And as as Tyler mentioned earlier, as, as the opportunity to consider missions this summer are the decisions that you're making in your life. You know, some of you in this room, God is asking you to go fishing with him in the, in the deep during the day. No one else is doing it, but you're uniquely gifted to do this. You're uniquely designed to do this thing that God is tugging at your heart to do. And, you, and we've seen in this account, he does it. He calls people to go fishing with him in the deep during the day. It takes courage to swim upstream at times. It takes thorough consideration and prayer and counsel. But God, throughout our lives at various times, will call us to go fishing with him in the deep during the day. As the guys come back to lead us in worship, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for these men and women and their love for you and our uh, collective time of worship here this morning and, and thinking about the things of God. Thank you for the privilege that we do have to study the Word of God, to ponder upon it. But this is just sort of a launching pad little place, Lord. Let the real work be done outside of this place where we might contemplate with you, meditate with you, search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. And and if they are, and if you're calling us to go fishing with you in the deep during the day, would you give us the emboldenment to do that? Would you encourage us and Make us strong followers of you. May Peter become our guide today as one who leaves behind and follows after the Lord and him only. Thank you for calling us to you, Lord. Thank you for giving us skill and and competency. But help us 
direct all of those things toward faithful service to you as we respond to you. And I pray this in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.